Good morning. Hey, good to be back with you guys. Thanks for uh, allowing my wife and I to take a bit of a vacation uh, last week. And Herb, thank you so much for filling in for me. Did a wonderful job starting our new series in the book of Proverbs entitled Get Smart. So if you have your Bibles with me, uh, with you, go ahead and turn uh, to them, uh, turn in them to the book of Proverbs. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be pew Bibles and the pew backs in front of you. And if not, most of our text should be on the screen. So we will be in the book of Proverbs, oh, page 510 in your pew Bible. And as you're turning in your pew Bibles or your own Bibles to the book of Proverbs, uh, want to just uh, give us a heads up as to where we've been and where we're going. Uh, we just concluded a sermon series uh, called Relationship Slips and uh, on God's design for relationships. All those should be on the website. If you happen to miss one, I would uh, recommend you going back and checking those out. And for the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs doing a topical study. So we're going to be looking at various topics within the Proverbs. And uh, last week, Herb gave us a, a really wonderful overview uh, on the book of Proverbs. And uh, we talked about, actually we, Herb, uh, talked about and shared with us that the book of Proverbs is really a book all about wisdom. It's a book about wisdom, and Herb, I think, rightly defined it as skilled, uh, being skilled in godly living. And so that's what this book is all about. It's about teaching us practical wisdom for being skilled, having skill in living the way that God wants us to live. And so it's a very practical, uh, very easily uh, applied book of the Bible. And uh, as I said, we're going to be going just through various topics, a whole slew of topics in Proverbs, and uh, we'll pick uh, eight that I think are, are useful and helpful uh, for us this morning. So that's where we've been and where we're going, and uh, so I'd ask you to do this. Let's pray together, and we'll jump right in to uh, part two of Get Smart in the book of Proverbs. So let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for this time. It's so good for us to gather as your people, um, to be under your word, to be under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, uh, to be submissive to our King and our Savior and our God, Jesus Christ, and Father, to, uh, to know you as our Father. Thank you that we can be here. Uh, give us great wisdom and insight, we pray. Thank you for uh, the, the years uh, that it took to compile this book of literature under your divine inspiration. You have given us many proverbs and many wise sayings to teach us how to be skilled at godly living in every practical area of our life, and we pray this morning that you would help us uh, to hear what it is that you would have to hear uh, on this very significant topic of uh, alcohol. Help me, I pray, to speak your words, to speak them clearly and plainly and truthfully under your power and the influence of the Spirit, and may those who hear be willing to heed those words and to apply them in their lives. And so make us smarter. Help us to get smart, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives, to live skilled in a godly way. We pray, and we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen. Amen. I want to begin with a story this morning. I heard a, a true story. Um, uh, actually, I read of a true story that uh, caught my eye as we begin to talk about the subject of alcohol. Uh, there was once a juggler, and uh, he was a pretty skilled juggler, and he was driving to his next performance, uh, and he was a little bit late. And so as he drove, he found himself increasingly uh, uh, getting faster and faster. So he uh, began to speed. He was late uh, to his next performance. And on the way, um, he saw what we all dislike to see as we're going a little too fast as he looked in his rearview mirror, he saw that there were sirens and a policeman uh, pulling him over. And so frustrated, uh, he pulled over and uh, waited for the policeman to do his job. And so the policeman, uh, little beknownst to the juggler, was actually uh, looking for somebody specific. There had been a recent murder in the area, and he was doing a, a, a duty looking for this 
uh, criminal. Uh, and so uh, the police officer took an unusually long time, uh, eventually came up to the window of the juggler and said, you know, may I see you know, your ID and all of those things. And so he got his insurance and ID. And, and, and the juggler just happened to have in, in the back seat uh, a set of machetes. Now, you all know what machetes are, right? They're long, kind of uh, knife kind of things, okay? I used to use them down in South Texas to chop weeds. Not, not pretty, but they're these long kind of knives. And so he had these machetes as a part of his, you know, juggling act. Well, uh, obviously the cop noticed that and was a little suspicious, so the story goes. And so he asked the, the man, hey, I, I've noticed you've got some rather long uh, knives in, in the back of your trunk or back of your car. Would you mind telling me what, what those are all about? And the juggler told him the truth. Well, he's, he's a juggler and he's on his way to the next performance. But of course, the cop was a little suspicious. And so the cop said, well, I don't know if I believe you, so what I want you to do is get out of the car, sir, and take those two, machete, two or three machetes and, and start to juggle, to demonstrate to me that you're really a juggler. And so the juggler agreed, and he got out of the car and started his juggling act with the three machetes. Uh, now, uh, along, the, along the way, uh, of course, on, onlookers had stopped, and cars passing by were slowing down to see this unusual occurrence for a policeman and, and a juggling man, and uh, a, a gentleman who was passing by said to to his wife, wow, look at that. I'm glad that I quit drinking. Look at the test they're giving now. <laughs> this morning, we're going to begin our study in the book of Proverbs after seeing uh, Herb talk about the fear of the Lord on the subject of alcohol. Now, my wife asked me, you know, it's Father's Day. Did you pick alcohol for any specific reason? And I said, no, I don't think about those kind of things. You know, I, I was looking at my, my uh, topical study of Proverbs and Alcohol starts with A, and our alphabet starts with A, and so that's how I picked it. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about alcohol in the book of Proverbs. So just a quick caveat, this by no means is, is the comprehensive teaching on the subject of alcohol throughout the, the Bible or the New Testament. We, we're going to look just mostly at what Proverbs had to say has to say about it, but it's most certainly consistent with the rest of the Bible. And so uh, what I've found as I've started to look at the references on alcohol in the Proverbs is there are about eight to nine particular references on alcohol. Uh, Two of them are positive, and about five of them are negative. And so that's kind of how I've broken up my sermon. So if you're taking notes, we're going to first of all see the main positive reference to alcohol in the book of Proverbs. And then we'll go to the negative references, and we'll see five of those. Uh, So the first positive reference, we'll jump right in, is found in Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 9 and read through verse 10. The first reference in Proverbs uh, says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, so it's the result if you do that, if you honor the Lord with your wealth, Proverbs says, and if you give of him the first fruits of your crops, then the result will be, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim over with new wine. And there's the first reference to alcohol, wine, in, in this segment. Uh, we have to understand the context here. Uh, the Proverbs is given in the context of what is called the Old Covenant or, or the Mosaic Law. Uh, we're going to see a few of those references, but the, the main thrust of the Mosaic Law and the Old Covenant given to the nation Israel was essentially this. God said, I'm, I've redeemed you, you're my people, I'm going to give you a land, and if you obey my law, if you obey what I tell you to do, 
do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in tangible ways. I'm going to bless you with food and with kids and with prosperity. But if you disobey me, if you break the covenant, then I'm going to curse you. I'm going to take away your kids. I'm going to take away your food. I'm going to take away your prosperity. That was the old covenant um, in a nutshell. And so this first proverb fits very nicely in the context of that old covenant. Essentially, it says, hey, if you honor the Lord with your wealth, that is, if you give of the first fruits of your crops, that is, the first and the best crops, if you give that to the Lord as an offering, then as a result of your obedience, God will bless you. That's well within the bounds of the Old Testament. But what I want us to see specifically is that the blessings here mentioned are twofold. Number one, the barns will be uh, filled to overflowing, right? So that's easy enough. They're going to have plenty of food, and all of their barns will be full. God will bless them with food. And then secondly, he'll bless them with drink. It says, in your vats, which is what the wines were stored in, your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, the very simple point that I want us to see, the first and the, really the strongest positive reference to alcohol in the book of Proverbs says this. <clears throat> alcohol was seen as a blessing from God. Particularly here, wine was seen as a blessing from God to, for obeying him. So that's quite simply all I want us to see from this is that it was a blessing. It was considered a good thing that God would bless them with plenty of wine if they obeyed him. Now when I did a little digging into the rest of the Old Testament, there are a few verses and I think I've listed, here, listed them here on the next slide. Jot those down because these are significant verses that kind of support this idea that God gave wine and alcohol to his Old Covenant people as a blessing, as a blessing for their obedience. I'll go ahead and read these to you. Uh, number one, the first thing we see from the Old Testament, Psalm 104, 14 and 15, lists alcohol along with oil and bread as just a blessing from God, as God's provision for food and for drink. So the first thing I want us to see from Psalm 104 is that alcohol along with food and along with oil was just seen as God's provision for his people. Psalm 104, 14. He makes the grass grow, speaking of God, of course, he makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. So he provides for the cattle. He provides for his people. Bringing forth food. Notice that word. Bringing forth food from the earth. So here is the list of the kind of food that God provides for his people. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Oil to make their faces shine that they would rub on their, their faces. And bread that sustains their hearts. And so quite simply, what I want us to see is that Number one, it was seen as a blessing from God, and it was just viewed as a part of food and drink. Number two, uh, the second thing that I want us to see from the Old Testament is the, is the next two references, Deuteronomy 7 and Hosea 2. Remember I talked about the Old Covenant, how if God's people obeyed him, he would physically, tangibly bless them. But if they disobeyed, then he would curse them. Well, part of the blessing of obedience, as we saw from this verse, is alcohol. And then part of the cursing Part of what God would take away is that he would take away their alcohol for their disobedience. And so Deuteronomy seven thirteen says, I will bless you if you obey me. <clears throat> he will bless the fruit of your womb, that is, he'll give you kids, the crops of your land, your grain, your new wine, which is the reference here, and olive oil 
The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you. So what I want you to see here is simply that it's considered a blessing from God in the context of the covenant, but it's also considered a cursing. That is, if they disobeyed, he would take it away. Hosea 2.9 says this at the very beginning, part A of this verse, Therefore I will take away my grain. That is the grain that he provided for his people. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. God calls the wine that they produced to consume in their land as a blessing his wine. It was his wine, and if they disobeyed him, he would take it away. So quite simply, it's a blessing. It's a part of the curses. It's a part of the blessings. And then Hosea Uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 14.26. This is one that's very interesting. Uh, In the context of chapter 14, Moses is instructing God's people as to how to offer their tithe. Now, a tithe was when they gave uh, 10% of what they made, essentially, and gave it to the Lord. And he's describing how they can do that. He says uh, in the earlier context that if the temple is close to you, where you're supposed to go sacrifice, well, then just take, uh, take your wine, take your uh, grain, take your animals, and just go travel there and offer that tenth sacrifice and then eat those things before the Lord. It was a part of worship. They would offer their sacrifice and then they would eat it before the Lord joyfully as a part of worship. But if people live too far for them to travel with all of those things, then God gives this provision that they can do this. And so I'll read, I'll, I'll read Deuteronomy 14, 24 through 26. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord and you're your God, and you cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away that it's, it's, it's a good distance to travel there, then this is what you should do. Exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place that your Lord, your God will choose. So they take their, their goods and they say, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to take money. I'm going to travel to the place where God says so, and then this is what they should do. Use the silver, in verse 26, use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, and other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord and rejoice. Quite simply, what I want us to see from this last reference is that consumption of alcohol was a part, or was allowed to be a part of worship, of the tithe worship. And so what do we see? What, what do I want us to see in this first section of Proverbs and the positive reference to what the Bible teaches about alcohol? Just three points that I want you to jot down and keep in mind. Number one, it shows that like other foods and other drinks, alcohol is considered a blessing from God. We saw that numerous times. So just like food, just like any other drink, it's something that God provided for his people. Number two, it can be consumed in a worshipful way to God. That is, consumption of alcohol very clearly was a part of the tithe and could, is not at all in opposition to worship of God. And then number three, and this is a deduction from point number one and point number two, it's not inherently sinful. That is, it's nothing inherently wrong about it since God allowed for it and, and called it a blessing. But what we're going to see now, we've seen those three things, the positive about alcohol in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's a positive thing. It's just like any other food. It's, it's a blessing. It's not counter-worship. But like any blessing that God gives, food, sex, for instance, 
it can be abused. It can be taken to a sinful extreme. So just like food, we can be gluttonous, and sex, we can uh, do it outside the bounds of what God says. So alcohol has its dangers. And so the rest of the Proverbs are warnings. And so what we're going to spend the rest of our time on are the five warnings of the, of the possible effects, the possible negative effects of alcohol. And I find it quite interesting that when you peruse and look through the Proverbs, which is supposed to teach us about godly living, it certainly says this is the right way to use alcohol, and it's good and right, but it has five warnings. Two positives, five negatives, right? So that should teach us about the dangers of alcohol. And so let's jump into these. There are what I would call five negative references, warnings, uh, five results of not just drinking alcohol, but specifically of drunkenness. And so let's just walk our way through those. Number one, the first warning involves a warning against alcohol, drunkenness leading to violence. That's the key word I want you to see, violence. And we see that in Proverbs 20, verse 1. So let's flip there in our Bibles. Proverbs 20, verse 1. It says this, wine, <coughs> wine is a mocker, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And of course, wisdom is what, about, is what Proverbs is all about, living godly and wise. And so, what do we see here? Essentially, what it says is that if we are led astray uh, by alcohol, and if we get drunk, then it can lead to violence. Notice, uh, this is, uh, wine here is personified. That is, it's given uh, human characteristics. Wine is a mocker. Now, I, literally, right, a cup of wine doesn't spout mockery at you, does it? No. And a beer doesn't get out of its can and fight you, right? But that's kind of the image uh, that's being used here. It's personified. And what it's doing is it's saying a person who is uh, under the influence of alcohol too much in a drunken way can be a mocker, can be a brawler. And so it can lead to violence. First of all, it could lead to what I would call verbal abuse. A person who is intoxicated is a mocker. That is, they say things that they wish they probably wouldn't have said. They uh, instigate conflict. They mock. They make fun of. They pick fights. And then secondly, beer is a brawler. That is, they cause physical violence. And so in short, drunkenness leads to arguments. It leads to violence. I don't know if you've ever been in that place before you, where you've had too much or maybe seen somebody, but most certainly uh, you can say things that you wouldn't say otherwise. You can do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. It oftentimes leads to physical abuse. I want to share just a few statistics with you um, that struck me. Uh, the Justice Department just last year said that roughly 40% of all violent crimes, so roughly half, almost half, of all the violent crimes in our land last year involved some kind of alcohol. 86% of all homicides, so almost 90% of all murders involved alcohol. 37% of assault involved alcohol, and 60% of sexual offenders involved alcohol. Um, I'm not so naive to think that some of you have not experienced some kind of violence in your life. Maybe you've been the one doing the violence under the influence. Maybe you've been the one who have, has had the violence done to you, um, and it's a horrible, uh, horrific thing um, to be abused by a father who's an alcoholic, to have your mom, who may have had too many beers, say things to you that she just cannot take back. 
Some of you have been through that and you know exactly what Proverbs 20 is talking about. The one that stood out to me is that 60% of sexual offenders involve alcohol. I want to share a quick story with you that hits home as I read that statistic and as we look at this proverb. As you know, I've been in youth ministry for uh, quite some time before I got here. And uh, there was a young lady, um, I'll just, uh, well, her name was Emma. And uh, she was, uh, grew up in our youth ministry and was pretty involved in it. She became friends with a young man who uh, we used on our worship team. He was a drummer. Um, I won't say his name, but we'll just call him Bob. And uh, Bob was a very skilled drummer, but he had, uh, you know, he had issues. And uh, we overlooked that or encouraged him to pursue righteousness. Long story short, um, Bob had always liked Emma. And uh, one day I was uh, extremely saddened and shocked to have her sitting in my office as a youth pastor and for her to share with me the story of how they were at a party together, there was alcohol, there was drinking. Um, Long story short, Bob, um, her good friend, um, took her into a closet and sexually harassed her. We won't go any further than that, but I have a teenager, a 16-year-old girl, sitting in my office crying, weeping, because she regretted going to a party where there was alcohol with a a young man who, under the influence, I don't think he would have done that without it, under the influence assaulted her, and it led to violence. And so the first warning should be very clear to us. Alcohol in excess can cause all sorts of violence. Number two, not only does it warn against violence, but it says that it can lead to poverty. I'll call it need. And so the second negative reference is that it just takes our money. Turn with me now to Proverbs 23. Turn a little bit in, uh, in your Bibles to the right. Proverbs 23, verse 20 and 21 indicates that alcohol just takes our money away and it can lead to poverty ultimately. 23, 20, and 21 says this. We'll start in 19. Listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Verse 20. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Drunkards, those who eat too much. For, and here's the reason why, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So the second warning is that alcohol can lead to poverty. It can lead to us having a need, a financial need. I've got three admonitions here. So the first one comes from the very first part of this segment. Notice what it says. It says, do not what, church? What's the word? Do not Join, okay? Do not join those who drink too much. And so the first application for us is to watch our alcohol association. That is, watch who you join in drinking with, right? Very clearly, he says, part of the problem is that you can go with people who don't know how to handle their alcohol. You can go with people who get drunk. You can go with people who sin because they get drunk and don't do it, is essentially what it says. Watch your alcohol associations. Students, I've been where you are. I've sat in the parties where there's alcohol, and even though I was a Christian, I thought this is wrong, shouldn't be there. I've been there, I've done that. Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, if you want to keep out of jail, if you want your driving record to be clean, if you want your reputation as a Christian to be good, listen to me. Do not join with those who drink too much, not to mention the fact that it's illegal, which is an obvious statement. So watch your alcohol associations. But that's not just for students. 
Men, women, adults, we have to be careful of this too. We have to be careful of watching who we spend time with, who we hang out with, because if our buds at the bar after work encourage us to have one too many and cross over the boundary from alcohol consumption to alcohol intoxication, then we too need to heed this warning to watch our alcohol associations. Number two, not only should we watch our associations, but we should watch our alcohol consumption. It says very clearly here, do not join with those who drink what? Too much. Do not drink, uh, do not join with those who drink too much. The emphasis here, as it is on the New Testament, is that on drunkenness. Ephesians 6 says that drunkenness is a sin. Do not be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, ver- the Bible very clearly articulates that Drinking in and of itself is not a sin, but when you get to the point of drunkenness, you've crossed the line. And that's what this Proverbs is saying. Don't drink too much. And so, very clearly, we need to watch our alcohol consumption. Number three, watch your alcohol spending. Notice what the result is. He says, don't go with them, don't join with them who eat too much or drink too much. Why? For drunkards and gluttons become poor. The word there literally means deficient destitute or in need. So oftentimes, when I first read this, I thought, oh yeah, that's the hobo. He spends all of his money on alcohol. He's a drunk. You know, that's that's why he's poor, that kind of thing. And that's probably true for a lot of people. But the word, uh, which is translated poor or poverty, can also have the meaning of not completely destitute, but just you have needs. You're, you're, there's, there's lack financially. It's deficient. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes our alcohol spending can cut into those needs that we have. So don't give enough to the church. Don't give what you'd like to the church. Can't save like you would like to for college, for your students. Don't have the extra spending money that you would like. Can't save for your retirement like you'd like to. Well, think about how much money you spend on alcohol in a week, in a month, in a year. In 20 years, in 30 years, do the math. Not that alcohol is bad, but alcohol, quite frankly, it costs money to buy alcohol or a six-pack of beer or a six-pack of Coke. There's a cost difference there, isn't it? It's not right or wrong, but it's something to consider. If you have needs, this Proverbs teaches us that Alcohol can be one way that cuts into those needs. So we've seen a couple negative references. It says that alcohol, when abused, can lead to violence. It can lead to need. And then number three, it can lead to pain. Quite frankly, it can lead to a whole lot of pain. Turn with me now in the same chapter, a few verses down, verses 29 through 32. 29 through 32. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Well, it's going to tell us who. Those who linger over wine, that is, they drink too much. Who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smooth. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. So the third proverb that I want us to see is that it can lead to pain. Go back with me and take a look at the very beginning, verses 29. Uh, three, three areas of pain that alcohol, when abused, can lead to. Number one, it can lead to emotional pain. Look at verse 29. Who has woe? 
Who has woe? Who has sorrow? This is talking about emotional pain that is associated with your drunkenness or what you do when you're drunk. It can be all sorts of things, all sorts of ways. It can, uh, it can be uh, guilt. It can be anxiety. It can be depression. It could be a whole host of things that accompany being drunk. It leads to emotional pain, but most likely you feel that emotional pain because of the next part. Who has strife? That is physical, uh, excuse me, relational pain, who has strife, who has complaints. This describes relational pain caused by the misuse of alcohol. So just think about it. How many broken marriages do you know are maybe not a direct result, but certainly alcohol has a huge part in playing that. Broken friendships, estranged, estranged children who want nothing to do with a mom or a dad because they're alcoholics. Think of the pain, the relational pain that alcohol, when misused, causes. And then third, there's physical pain. Look what it says. Who has needless bruises? I think that refers to the fact that when you're drunk, you stumble around, you might, you might get in fights, you might fall over, you bruise your body when you're drunk, and you wake up and your body hurts, you, you've got bruises. It, then it goes on to mention bloodshot eyes, which is the inevitable result of drunkenness. But it doesn't stop there. Let me just suggest a few other physical pains. Uh, vomiting. That's the whole toilet bowl thing, right? Uh, uh, Vomiting, nausea, hangovers, ultimately liver damage or alcohol poisoning. I don't know the stats, but I, I, I do know this, that especially among young people, alcohol poisoning, that is they don't know how to drink, they go and they overconsume and they get alcohol poisoning and oftentimes many of them die because they don't understand that alcohol has physical ramifications on what they do. We're going to skip that video, Glenn. So if you're watching for it, we're going to skip it. So, three warnings. It can cause violence. It can cause us to be poor or be in need. It can cause pain. And number four, moving on in chapter 23, it can cause what I will call a lack of self-control. Isn't that what it means to be drunk? You, are, you don't have self-control. Notice the description, verses 33 through 35 have. It's meant to be somewhat comical. It's a description of a drunk person. If you've been drunk, if you've seen a drunk person, you know this is exactly what happens. Verse 33. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me up, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? This is a portrait of a lack of self-control that overindulgence in alcohol can lead to. Number one, it can lead to a lack of self-control in your mind. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. Is that not what happens when you get drunk? You don't see quite how things are supposed to be. You know, you you see things, you imagine things, it plays with your mind, you don't have self-control there. Your body, verse 34, you will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of a rigging. You know what that's talking about? It's, it's meant to be funny. It's a picture of a drunken person stumbling around as if, here's the picture, it's one sleeping on the high seas. So there's a boat and it's out at sea and, there's the, and, and a person is sitting at the top of the rigging. And what happens at the top of the rigging when you stay there a while? 
You start to rock and you go back and forth and you get seasick, you get imbalanced, you get disoriented, right? If you've ever been seasick, you know what that is like. It's a picture of lack of self-control with your body. You can't control yourself. And then third, your senses. You can't control your senses. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. That is, you don't quite feel everything. Your senses are dulled. You don't know what's happening. And then finally, there's a lack of self-control regarding your will. And when you get to this point, you have to get to the point where you have to admit that you're drunk, and not even, not even more than that, that you're an alcoholic, that it has seized your will, that you cannot say no to it, that you are enslaved to it. Verse 35, B. After all of that, this person says, when will I wake up? They're passed out drunk. When will I wake up? Why? So that I can get sober? No. When will I wake up so that I can find another drink? This is a picture of a person who is an alcoholic who cannot say no. Their will is broken. They are enslaved. And I want to speak to those of you who may be afraid to admit that you're there. I hope none of you are there. But some of you may be there and I don't want to sound like AA or anything, but you have to admit it. (laughs) You have to get to the point where you say, that is me. It has enslaved my will. I cannot say no. I get slobbering drunk, and then I reach for the next one because I cannot control myself. You have to admit that, and you have to seek help, counsel, whatever it is. There's a whole slew of things that are helpful. But maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're there. By way of application, by way of application of lack of self-control, let me just admonish you, men in particular, but ladies as well. Do not, please, do not get behind the wheel of a car if you are even slightly lacking self-control. Now, I know the state says .008 is how it defines drunkenness and, and illegal driving. I don't know what that exactly feels like. Everybody is different when you know that you've had too much, but let me just caution you. Is it worth your reputation if you get a drunk driving citation? Is it worth the reputation of Christ? Is it worth the reputation of the church? Is it worth all of the other things that come along with that? And I would suggest to you it is not. Men in particular, it's okay. Your wife can drive home. It's far better to do that than to ruin a part of your life by drinking and driving. So we've seen four negative references, and we'll get to the last one. Leads to violence, poverty, pain, lack of self-control, and finally, poor decision-making. Look ahead with me to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7. We see the last thing is that, quite simply, we do not make good decisions when we are drunk or under the influence too much. Verse 4. Here's the context here. We have this guy whose name is King Lemuel. Let's just say Lemuel. I don't know how to say it, but that's how I think we should say it. King Lemuel. And he writes uh, his mother's wisdom. So his mother is giving him advice, and he records that for us. And this is a part of her wisdom, both to him as a king and to us as well. Verse 4, it is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer. Okay, here's why. She's warning against him in an administrative, ruling, decision-making position against the ill effects of wine. And she says, be careful, be cautious, and here's why, lest 
kings drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all of the oppressed of their rights. The point is simply this. She says, it's not for kings because they are the key decision makers in the land. They need to have clear judgment. They need to make righteous decisions so that the justice is done in the land and alcohol has the potential to lead to poor decision-making. And then she kind of wraps it up in verse 6 and 7 by contrasting that and saying, leave that to those who are sick and dying. She says this, let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. She says, it's not for you, kings. Leave it for them. And so the point that I want to make lastly is that alcohol uh, can, when abused, can lead to a whole slew of poor decisions. We've talked about many of those poor decisions before. Um, Husbands mistreat and misspeak or maybe even abuse their wife in a violent way. Uh, Wives say things to their kids and to their husbands that they certainly normally uh, would not. Oftentimes I've seen being in youth ministry uh, as a warning, young people, young people, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it both in the locker room as a guy when I was your age or uh, from students that I ministered to how men, young men in particular, those who you want to stay away from, use alcohol to get young women to sleep with them. It's horrific and ugly, but let me tell you, I've been in the locker rooms. I've had young women uh, come and share with me and say, I went on this date. I was here. They specifically wanted me to drink so that I would uh, have sex with them. Uh, It's horrible and horrific, but that's one of those things that when you get alcohol in your system, you make poor choices. You make poor choices. There was a girl that I went to high school with, and she, under the influence of alcohol, slept with her boyfriend, ended up getting pregnant, and had a teen, I think she had the baby in the summer, maybe between our junior and senior years. Um, God, wonderful for a child. It's a wonderful thing to have a child, but I can guarantee you that's not how she envisioned it happening, because of the influence of alcohol. And so, in closing, how do we sum up what we see in the book of Proverbs? Let's take a look at this chart by way of reminder. Uh, How do we get smart on alcohol? What does the Proverbs teach us? Well, on the positive side, we see three things. Uh, As I said before, like other foods, like other drinks, it's a blessing from the Lord. It's not inherently sinful, which is point number three, and it can be consumed in a worshipful way. So what Proverbs and the Bible teaches uh, holistically on alcohol is that it's not inherently wrong, but like a ton of other good gifts, food, uh, uh, sexual intimacy, it can be abused. And so then, not only does it give us the positive references, but it gives us a whole slew of warnings, and here they are, just again. It can lead to violence. It can lead to poverty or need. It can lead to all sorts of pain. It can lead to lack of self-control. And finally, it can lead to poor decision-making. And so, this is what the Proverbs says about alcohol. This is how we get smart on alcohol. And I want to close with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with alcohol. Uh, You you can't seem to master it. Uh, It has influence over you. How do we begin to move away from being enslaved to alcohol? Well, I I would suggest there's a spiritual decision that needs to be made before any other decision, going to an AA meeting or confessing it to your wife or your husband or or whatever, needs to happen, and and it's this. It's found in 1 Corinthians 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me one more time to the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Here we have a reference to those who are drunkards, to those who, whose lifestyles, that of continual drunkenness, they are enslaved to alcohol and, and, and various other sins. And Paul says, some of you in this church in Corinth were alcoholics, and this is what happened to you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he gives them a strong warning. He essentially says there are people who have a lifestyle that are characterized by enslavement to and idolatry to these things. And it's an indication that they may not be Christians. They may not be saved. They will not inherit the kingdom. And some of you, what he says to this church, some of you were those. Notice what he says. 6, 11. And this is what some of you were. So he's talking to some people who are former alcoholics among other things. This is what some of you were, but. And praise God for the but. Because listen, if that's you, you don't have to stay on that side of the verse, right? You don't have to stay on the side of those who will not inherit the kingdom. There's a but. There's hope. There's power to change. But you were washed a picture of the cleansing of the effects of sin on their life. You were washed, you were sanctified, that is you were set apart, not to be slaves to drink, but to be slaves to Christ. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That is, God said to you, to them, I know this is who you were, you were engrossed in sin, I forgive you, it's It's off the record, right? Your debts are forgiven. You're made clean. You're forgiven. And the rest of the New Testament paints a picture that when that happens to you, when that but happens to you, and you become a Christian, not only are your sins forgiven, but you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and God begins to change you. Now, it usually doesn't happen overnight. It might, but you slowly make decisions according to God's will because you love God's will now and you slowly start to, or maybe even quickly, uh, turn away from that slavery to alcohol, to that, that idol of alcohol that was enslaving your will and you were enslaved to another, Jesus Christ, and he is a wonderfully good and merciful taskmaster. And you begin to love him and follow him and you become free. <laughs> and you're set free from that. It looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but the first thing, the starting point, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that your sins are forgiven and you are enabled to change. And so if you've not done that this morning, oh, I ask that you would do that right now, that you would place your faith in the power of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins by grace alone, nothing that you could ever do to earn it, but you would say, Jesus, I accept what you've done for me and ask that you come into my life and begin to change me so that I'm no longer enslaved to drink, but I'm enslaved to you. If you've never done that, you can do that as we close. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those in here who hear your words and they would admit in their heart of hearts that they are enslaved to alcohol. Father, help them, if they're not believers in Christ, to right now, 
confess their sin, to confess that they are not good enough for you, to confess that they have sinned against you in a myriad of ways, and yet you offer them grace. Your son is perfect, and that they would take the perfect life of Jesus as their own, that they would take the death of Jesus, bearing your judgment against their sin for them, and believing that he rose from the dead, they would ask that he would forgive them and come into their life and in their hearts, and then you would do that, Jesus, and begin to cause them to be born again and to be changed. Pray that you would do that. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who are Christians, and they still struggle, as we all struggle in a a host of ways. I pray that they would rely upon you to overcome this sin, and that you would do this great work in their hearts and in their lives. Father, thank you for your teaching on this most pertinent of subjects. May we handle this good gift of alcohol well. May we do it in worship to you. May we do it in a way that's honoring to you, and may we not fall into the warning uh, and effects that alcohol can be in our lives. And so we ask for your grace. We love you. We trust you. We thank you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen.